Turn with me to the book of James. Near the end of your Bible, the book of James. So we're about a week into uh, 21 days of praying and, and fasting. And this is usually the point, I think, where you uh, either begin to um, waver and lose your focus. Uh, maybe the hunger pains have gotten strong or whatever it may be, or you get more determined and you push through. <clears throat> the commitment becomes more of a discipline. And then hopefully our hope is that um, this daily time in prayer and daily time in the word, like diligent time with the Lord would become a habit. And that's our, our objective through <clears throat> the season of praying and fasting. <clears throat> is that we would develop habits uh, of walking with the Lord. Well, I'm not, I'm not a runner. You can probably tell that uh, I'm not much of a runner. I, I have tried it a couple of times. Um, that's how I discovered I wasn't a runner. Uh, if you've tried to run for any kind of distance, like distance running, then you know that there comes a point where it's less about um, your your body and more about your mind like there's a, a mental block that you have to push and and get past there, there comes this place in running um, and for me it was pretty early on <laughs> where my mind began to say okay legs that was fun um, let's call it a day go sit down for a while right and it's at that point that you're you're something else has to keep kick in you have to throw it in into manual and just sort of force your, your body to do what your mind is telling it not to do. And you have to go into overdrive, I suppose, and, and tell yourself, no, no, legs, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to push on through and fight on through. And uh, maybe you're at that point in this spiritual discipline in, at the end of week one. And if you are, I'm with you. And I want to tell you, you can do this. Let's push on through, press on through. Um, be disciplined, be devoted, uh, and it will be worth it on the back end. The time that we spend with the Lord, in that time, He's changing us, right? He's changing us. So last week, what we saw in the scriptures in the book of Daniel is that prayer matters. And we looked at the fact that when you pray, you're actually engaging in a spiritual world that really we know nothing about. And, and it feels strange to say, but as we pray, we close our eyes if you do, and you, and you begin to really diligently pray, uh, the book of Daniel sort of peeled some layers back for us and showed us that as we're praying, there are things happening that we don't know anything about. And the whole goal behind the message last week was to, to sort of open our eyes a little bit to what prayer really is, that it is kingdom activity. Praying is kingdom activity. It's not just... Um, for you to have some quiet moments and be able to vent and blow off steam, although that's helpful, that's not what prayer is. It's time with God dealing and doing what he is doing. Well, I want to ask you, when you think about prayer, do you typically think about being alone? You can answer that question. This is kind of a two-way conversation. When, do you think about prayer, think about more of solitude, of being alone, you guys? Okay, I do as well, um, most of the time. And I think that's, that's legit. I mean, Jesus did some teaching um, where he told us to go into our closet, right? And close the door and, and to pray in secret. And our Father that hears us in secret 
will we'll honor that, right? And, and so there's, a, there's definitely a place for private, personal, relational prayer. And then there's also um, a place for praying together. And uh, we see really in the same context when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray using what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. It starts this way. You see, if you remember, our Father. Whoa, whoa, don't go any further. What was the pronoun? Our. What do you notice about that? Plural, isn't it? It's not just my Father. Now keep going with it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give what? us this day what our daily bread and then what about forgive what us right so there's this corporate togetherness idea when it comes to praying also in in fact the pattern that jesus gave us for prayer is given to a family to people to pray corporately to pray together and we are called to pray that way. It's not just about praying in your prayer closet, although that is wonderful and we should. The church, God's people must be a praying people, not just in the closet, but in the hallways and in, uh, in this place and in the coffee house and in the living room and in the kitchen and in Walmart, right? Like wherever, whenever we are to be a praying people praying people. We're called to pray together, pray together. So that's what I've titled this message today from the book of James is pray together, pray together. All right. So if you found your place in James chapter five, we stand in honor of God's word. So as we read together from James five, would you stand to your feet <clears throat> and we'll read from verse 13 through the end of the chapter. And then you can be seated for a oh, while. Wow. James 5, verse 13. The word of the Lord. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to be a people of prayer. 
Lord, we want to be brothers and sisters in a family that prays together. Would you, Lord, today push us along in growing in that regard? Help us to believe so that prayer is not a last resort, but a first response. Lord, we we know that you hear our prayers. We've been reminded of that through the scriptures and through exhortation this morning that you care about our needs and you are more than able to do what is best in every circumstance. Lord, give us the faith to believe that. And would you teach us now to be a family that prays together in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can have a seat. <clears throat> well, family, let's, uh, let's walk through this passage together. A little bit of a different approach this morning. I want to just walk verse by verse by verse by verse through this text and see what James might be teaching us. See what we might can learn practically from him and then um, on the back end see especially what what the Lord wants to show us through uh, the story of Elijah. How many of you know that life is filled with ups and downs? Anybody know that? So like highest high and then it's amazing. Like um, the very next moment can be a drastic low. Uh, this morning I was on my way here. I was praying. I was just talking to the Lord, asking him, you know, for a great day together. I was super pumped, very excited. Uh, reached down to grab my chapstick and, and fumbled it a little bit. And uh, as I reached up to grab it, I was putting it, putting it on, which is awkward. Uh, and, uh, you know, putting that on there and praying. And I look in the mirror and here's the blue lights behind me. Right? Yes. Highs and lows. <laughs> Highs and lows. Um, police officer and I had a very kind conversation. Um, and uh, he said, you headed to church? I said, well, yes, sir, I am. And uh, he said, okay, well, you're not staying between the lines. I said, well, I was trying to put this lipstick on here. I'm really sorry about that. Um, anyway, thank God he let me off. So I'm here. And uh, don't have a ticket. So I'm thankful for that. But life is filled with ups and downs, isn't it? Ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. And it's hard to anticipate them. Sometimes these moments are just, they're fantastic and you're living in that moment. And then other times you're in the depth of sorrow and, it's, and it hits you like a ton of bricks and you don't know what to do with it. And James gives us some really practical exhortations here in verse 13. He simply says, if you're hurting... Pray. If you're hurting, pray. Then he says, if you're happy, praise. Right? <clears throat> this is, um, it's amazing how that works together. And what we know, we trust this to be true. And I just want to talk through this with us together. That life sometimes is really hard. And there's suffering that is very challenging. And Pedro alluded to this in, in his thoughts and prayers. And we, we don't have to run from it. We don't have to pretend that everything's roses, right? When things are hard, we're called to pray. And we can trust and take our pain to the Lord. First Peter 5, 7 says that 
We cast our cares upon him before, because he cares for us, right? And then at the same time, if things are going well for you, James says, praise. The Lord deserves your praise. Earlier in the book of James, verse, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, every good and every perfect gift is from God. Right? Everything good, everything praiseworthy is from him. So if you're having a good day, that's because of him. If you got off without a ticket, that's because of him. Right? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's amazing how God-centered James is driving us to be. If you're in the low of lows, go to God. If you're at the high of highs... Oh, go to God. It's a God-centeredness to our life, right? But as he's talking to us as individuals, because this very first verse is very individualistic. He's let, if anyone among you, and he, then he says, let him. So it's specific to you and to me. Here's how you should act when you're hurting. You should pray. When you're thankful, you should praise. But then there's, how does that impact the community of faith? Think about it. When you're in the depth of sorrow and you don't know what's going on and you look around and somebody else is at the high of highs and they're just like, praise the Lord. It should help to pull you, pull you a little bit out of the pit to know that we have a God who can lift you up, right? And if you're on the mountain, you should look down and see the brother in the valley and go reach in for that brother, right? This is the way life should overlap and inter interlap with one another. <clears throat> what we see here is to keep God at the forefront of our minds. All of life revolves around God's goodness to us, right? And his care for us. Goodness to us and care for us. So there are times though when hurt is so deep that you really need to call for backup. And, uh, and James goes straight there next. You, you know, you're not meant to go this journey alone. Maybe some of you are there this morning. And um, we want to say to you as a family, we're here for you. We want to be here for you. Reach out. God gave us one another. And we are meant to be family. So verse 14, look at it with me. Is anyone among you sick? The word sick here means weary, worn down. It, it's physical, yes, but it's deeper than that. It's your physical body has broken you down to a place of, of defeat. Is anyone among you sick? And what's the prescription? Super practical prescription. What does he say? Call for the elders of the church. Call for help. Call for backup. And specifically here, the call is to call for elders, pastors in the church. Now, here is one New Testament, one of many New Testament uh, evidences, if you will, for um, membership in the church. If you're to obey this text, but you're not connected to a local body of Christ in a committed kind of a way, who do you call? You, you call the TV preacher? Is he coming? No, this is why we are committed, connected, covenant, committed body of believers. Because you, you can call for backup. You've got people who've got your back. And we want to have your back. 
So you call for elders or pastors or leaders or shepherds or people that love you and you know they love you and you know they're walking with the Lord. They're in touch with the Spirit of God and they want to come and care for you. They want to lift you up when you're hurting. You call for backup. God has designed us to be utterly dependent on Him. Do you know that? Utterly dependent on Him and interdependent on one another. He's designed life to be that way, where we desperately need him. And there are times we, we get so hurt and sick and wounded and weary that we feel so distant that what we need is a brother to be close or a sister to be close. God made us for life in community, even prayer life. Now, what do these elders or pastors do when they come? Do they, um, do they have some magic potion or a, or a special spell, break out a, a book of prayers that they have that nobody else has, like a, like a red bat phone, if you will, with a single button on it, that's, and it's like the straight line to the, oh, yes, yes, it's me again, God. No, right? No, these elder pastors are men who are dependent on God just as you are. But they ought to be brothers who you can trust are walking with Jesus. You can trust that they know their Bible enough to pray God's word over you. You can trust that they love and care for you genuinely. They are to pray over, James says. Pray over. I was just thinking about that word and we talked a lot uh, about this at Refuel on Wednesday night. You know, this is a situation maybe where this person is either unable to pray for themselves or maybe not they're just unable, but they're un... I don't know. They're just at a place where prayer just feels hard. Anybody been there? Have you been at a place where you're like, you know, I want to pray. I feel like I should pray. I just can't. That's a moment where you need brothers and sisters to come and pray over you. They can't pray with you because you're sick. You're weary. You need somebody to pray over you, on behalf of you. That's what these brothers and sisters, if you will, are being called in for. And in this setting, the elders are called in and... James says, let them anoint this person with oil. And here's, I, I take this to mean that God will use natural means to bring healing. That God will use natural means, you know, oils, if you will. The anointing of oil is a symbolic of, of the Holy Spirit's anointing as well. But I take this to mean that God uses both medicines and prayer and oils and all these things to, to, to use to bring health and wholeness to a person. Let them anoint him with oil. Look at the next phrase, in the name of the Lord. Do you know what that phrase means? I just want to do some teaching this morning, walk through this. Do you know what the, the expression in the name of the Lord means? I think a lot of us, when we pray, you know, we get to the end of our prayer, we're kind of through with our words and we've been taught, <clears throat> oh, oh yeah. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen, right? You've been taught, like, if you want this envelope to get to heaven, you got to put that stamp on it. You know what I mean? That stamp, that's the stamp. In the name of Jesus. You got to say those words if you want it to, you know, get all the way there. 
That's not it. When we're in the name of Jesus, what we mean by that is in accordance with his will and under his authority. Let me give you an example of what this, this might help explain in the name of Jesus. Oftentimes, um, when one of my daughters can't get her sisters to do what she wants her to do, wants them to do, she'll, she'll say, come do, come do this, come do this with me, let's do this, and they don't want to, you know. So oftentimes what will happen is, um, you know, she'll run away, and then she'll come back and she'll say, Daddy said you have to do this. And they'll be like, oh, oh, well, okay, you know. <laughs> and, they, and they go and they do, right? Well, she's played the trump card, hasn't she? She's like come in with the heavy hands, you know. Daddy says, you have to do this, right? What is she doing? She's do well, she's lying. Yeah, somebody says she's lying. Yeah, good point. Yes. But she's invoking my name, isn't she? She's using my name to, well, in this situation, to manipulate. To, uh, to get what she wants, to to accomplish what she wants to happen. And the problem in this setting is I didn't actually say that most of the time. I didn't actually say that, but she's using my name. Now, I want you to think about how this relates to prayer. When we do something, in this case from James, anoint someone in the name of the Lord or pray over someone in the name of the Lord or for you in particular, when you just pray in the name of the Lord, what you're doing is invoking his name and his authority. You're saying, God, I'm believing that this is what you want. It's not just what I want, but I believe because of what you've said that this is what you want to happen. And so I'm calling on your authority to make it happen. This is what we do in prayer when we pray in the name of Jesus. You are invoking the name of the king. It's a big deal. It's not a rubber stamp on your prayer envelope. Think more heavily about it. In verse 15, James continues. He says that the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith. This is a strong verse here. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. I want to park on this phrase, the prayer of faith for a moment. The prayer of faith. Who's writing this book? Do you know? Yeah, it's named for its author, right? James is the author. He's writing the book. But who is James? So, yeah, he's Jesus' half-brother. Jesus' half-brother. Joseph and Mary went on to have children after Jesus was born. And so James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother because they don't have the same father, right? Jesus has God as father. So, did you know that James, for the duration of Jesus' ministry, was an unbeliever? Did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We were laughing about this Wednesday night, just thinking about it, because I have, I'm one of three brothers, and I can imagine convincing them I was the Messiah would be very hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they, they only believe the bad about me usually, right? So I can imagine how challenging that was. For James, but for the duration of Jesus' life, James was not a believer. It was, it was only until 
Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and came back to James and called him to be an apostle. That James was like, oh my gosh, you are the Messiah. All the miracles that he had witnessed and seen, all the growing up life with Jesus, he had, he had always pushed it aside and, and, and said, no, 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 I, I cannot believe what I see. I cannot believe it. But at some point in James's journey, he's come to a place where he believes so strongly in this Jesus that he says, the prayer of faith will save and God will raise him up. Now, James knows that when you pray, you pray to God, who is Jesus. This is remarkable for a brother to tell you that when you pray in faith to my brother, Jesus, he does stuff. I love it. We'll talk more about this in a moment. Now, the truth of this verse is hard to wrestle with. I mean, many of us, I'm sure, have prayed for healing or prayed for God to do things that he did not do. And so maybe this verse is a bit troubling. We know from this, we know from life that this cannot be a formula. You know, if you're looking to start a healing ministry, this is not your recipe for it. Hey, the prayer of faith, you know, if I, you know, if you suppose that you just have enough faith that the sick will be certainly healed, you, you've misunderstood what James is teaching us. Not everyone gets physically healed, right? I mean, after all, looking out in the room, yeah, probably with some certainty, 100% of our bodies will die, right? There will come a point where physical healing is not an option but spiritual healing is. The Apostle Paul himself, who surely had plenty of faith, right? Battled with some physical ailment over and over. He prayed to God three times at least that the Lord would take away this thorn in his flesh, right? And God said, no, not gonna do it. So we can't just say, if you just have enough faith, God will certainly do this thing. It's just not biblical to say that. God will certainly heal your body, no. Sometimes God's deliverance is to change your heart, not your circumstance. For the believer, though, who I believe James is talking to specifically here, the certainty is this. God will raise him up. God will raise him up. Meaning in the last day. James goes on to say, if he has sinned, if he has sinned, sometimes a physical issue, sometimes a, a struggle, a suffering that's physical is related to some spiritual problems, a sin of some kind. Sin isn't always to blame for suffering, right? We learned that when we studied Job. Uh, Job's friends couldn't get a hold of that. They kept coming to him. Hey, man, you've obviously screwed up. You've got to repent, confess your sin. You, you have fouled this up. That's the reason you're going through all this suffering, but that's not always the case. Jesus specifically in John chapter 9 with the man who was born blind, remember? The people came to him and they were like, who sinned, this man or his parents? I mean, they were ready to pin it on somebody. You know, He has obviously sinned really bad. He's blind. That's what they said. That's what they thought. So it's either him or his parents. Who is it, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 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 neither. 
right? So the, the idea that all sin is connect, or all pain and suffering is connected to your sin is not true. And yet, some is. James says, if he has sinned, so sometimes the physical issue is because of or connected to, related to sin. So if the person has sinned, let this sickness be used to call him to repentance. If you're called to pray over someone, it's a good opportunity not to heap guilt, but to just pray, hey, you know, I love you. I want to pray with you and pray over you. Is there anything in your life that you know of that you need to confess to the Lord? Let's confess it before him now. Repent of sin. And let's ask God to step into this. That is appropriate, according to James. Called for even. The beautiful truth of the gospel, church, listen, is that when we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive. Isn't that good? So if, if, you're, if you're battling sin... The remedy for you is the same as it is for me. Confess, repent of my sin and trust that God will heal that brokenness that's within. There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So maybe you need to confess and repent and turn to Christ. Faithful praying is for healing the body and for healing the soul. In verse 16... James pivots away from physical sickness a little bit, pivots toward um, uh, the, the whole church family. He's not just talking about one person anymore. He's talking about all of us. And he says that this kind of praying that we're talking about is for everybody. And he says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, wait a minute. I thought confession of sin was just between me and God. Well, it is. Only God forgives sins, right? That's true. Only God forgives sins. So why would James be encouraging us to confess our sins to each other? Well, the Bible says this is where we find healing. From God, we are forgiven, right? Our sin debt is erased. Our past is behind us and we are forgiven. And yet, there's a future that lies ahead. And I don't know about you, but the chances of me stepping in that same pothole are pretty good. And so what I need is a community of faith that I confess my sin to, my weakness, my struggle. And then they, in turn, pray for me and hold me accountable. And that healing is now my future. Is this making sense? That the blood of Jesus covers your sin and it's forgiven. And the community of Jesus is a body of people where you might find healing for your future. This is the way God has set it up. He's designed it to be this way. So confession within a trusted, loving family, the church, can mean a future of real spiritual health for you. Like real change, real transformation, instead of the same cycle of sin, sorry, repeat. That cycle can be broken through the community of faith, is what James is saying. 
I know this gets scary um, to get that real with real with real people, right? To talk about your own sins with real people, and some people cannot be trusted, and you must be discerning about that. But you've got to find a few men, men in the house. Don't let your sin live in the darkness. It'll eat you up. You got to find some brothers that you can trust and get real with them. Let it out. That's the only way your future won't look like your past. Ladies, you've got to find some women who know how to not talk, who know how to listen and love you well. You, you need it. We all need it. He's calling us to pray together as a family. Well, I think there's probably two big questions right here. The first one is this. Do you know... He starts by saying, is any of you sick, right? Well, then he gets more general and he talks about sin. So here's the, here's the real general question. Do you know that you're sick with sin? I'm going to ask that one more time. This time I really want you to answer. Do you know that you are sick with sin? Okay. Now here's the follow-up. How bad do you really want healing? Or are you content to just repeat the cycle? James says, confess to God and confess to people. Okay, that's a lot of praying with and for and over one another. So prayer seems to be a key ingredient to the health of our relationship with God and with one another. And then James says this, and I love this statement. It's a great statement. Listen to it. He says, he says um, the prayer... Of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now the context, remember, of that statement had happened in what verse? What number? Do you know? Verse number? Come on. 16. Which started this way. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Connect the dots. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What kind of great power might James be referencing? The power for what? Spiritual healing. Forgiveness and walking out the newness of life that Jesus enables in us. Great power comes through effective prayer. Effective prayer. So, when he says, has great power. Great power is connected to what word? What word is he talking about when he says, has great power? What word? Prayer. Listen, listen, listen. Prayer, you could, you could shorten the sentence like this. <clears throat> Prayer has great power. Do you believe it? Prayer has great power. And then the last part of the sentence says this. As it is working. As it is working. As what is working? Prayer has great power as it is working. Working. This is something that's been blowing my mind. Prayer is not passive. While we pray, great power is happening. God is working. We saw that with, <clears throat> with Daniel last week. And this week, I want us to see it with Elijah. So as he's writing now, super practical talk, right? Up to this point, verses 17 and 18, James' mind jumps to the prophet Elijah. And he thinks specifically about Elijah's powerful prayer around Mount Carmel. 
<clears throat> in 1 Kings 17 and 18, um, in, in chapter 17, Elijah declares that there will be no rain. That there's going to be a drought, no rain, no dew coming up from the earth. A great drought will happen. It's going to be three and a half years of judgment. And then God is going to uh, draw his people back to himself. Well, in 1 Kings 18, something amazing happens. I want us to look at it. If you got your Bible, you can look there really quickly. 1 Kings 18, verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. This has been three and a half years since it's rained. And Elijah tells King Ahab, hey, you, you need to go like have a big meal, enjoy yourself, because there's a big rain coming. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth. And put his face between his knees. And he began to pray. So pause for a minute. Elijah knew what God was going to do. Because God had already said it. But then he goes to pray. He puts his face between his knees. He gets in this posture that's pretty unique in the Bible. And he begins to pray and ask God to do, to open the heavens and bring rain. Now, James is teaching us in this point of the, in, in his teaching, he comes to Elijah and he's wanting to teach us a big principle. So I'm going to give it to you in one big sentence. And then we're going to drill into Elijah for just a few minutes. One big sentence. Here it is. Everyday people, everyday people have access to extraordinary power through expectant prayer. Listen, I want you to hear th this statement. I want you, I want to drill it in your mind. Everyday people. Who is that? That's me and you. I, I'm, not, I'm normal. I'm not like Elijah. James says Elijah was a human just like me and you. That's the first part. That's how he introduces Elijah. I know you know him as a prophet. I'm telling you, he was just a man. And that joker prayed and God did amazing things. The point Elijah's making is that me and you, everyday people, have access to extraordinary power through expectant prayer. Elijah told Ahab, hey, you better go eat a big meal, get your stuff ready. About to be a big rain. You don't want to get caught by the rain. Before he even prayed, he knew it was coming. Then... <laughs> This is going to be a little bit out there, y'all. But he takes this weird posture. It might even say it in your margin of your Bible. It's, it's the posture of a woman in labor. And in those days, they didn't have the beds at, at the hospital and all that jazz. So this was the posture that Elijah took. It was like this. And he begins praying, laboring with the Lord fervently asking God to do what he already knew God wanted to do. Laboring in prayer. Do you know what that is to labor in prayer? Some of you do. To labor. He had his servant with him. At some point in his prayer time, he says, hey, 
go look over the hill, see if there's rain coming yet. The guy goes, he comes back, and he's like, no, man, it's like, it's like not a cloud in the sky. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, God, bring the rain. He gets back, okay, go, go look again, go look again. He goes, comes back, he's like, yes, yeah, sorry, man, there's, there ain't no rain coming. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, God, please bring the... He's in this posture and he's laboring, working. This is what James says when he says, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Fervent, determined, perseverant, asking, pleading, seeking, believing. All of that wrapped up in that word fervent. It's this laboring in prayer. He sends him back, sends him back, sends him back. How many times? Seven times the servant had to go back. Seven times. Oh, can you imagine time six? Like, oh God, wish there was a cloud. Elijah, I hate to, man, I, I hate to tell you this. There ain't a cloud in the sky. Okay, okay, okay. Go back to praying, right? On that seventh time, he comes back and he's like, hey, there's a cloud. It's like, it's like that big. It's tiny. It's just, it's Barely even a cloud. I hesitate to even tell you, but I do see something out there. And Elijah's like, it's coming. Let's go. Let's get ready. You know, sometimes when you pray, God, God is not going to give you all of it. Just a little bit, right? Do you know that when you pray to God, when you're asking God for something, typically his answers are yes, no, and what? Wait, not yet. And for seven times, this is where Elijah is. Seven times. Okay, Lord, I know this is what you want to happen. I know it. I'm believing. I'm try you said you were going to bring the rain. I think it's now. I'm praying now, Lord, please now. No, no, you wait, you wait, you wait. Here's the thing, Christian. If you haven't heard yes, and you haven't heard no, what do you do? You pray like this until God gives you yes or no. Fervent, faithful prayer. Everyday people have access to extraordinary power through expectant prayer. Now, there's some things we need to say about this. Anybody can pray like Elijah. Elijah was human is what James teaches us. He's like us. He's not special. But the God to whom he prayed is special. James, throughout this passage, is teaching us, is there anyone among you? There's this generic idea about prayer because Jesus made himself accessible. Did you know that? At the cross, the veil was torn. The separation between man and God was torn down, and it's all through Jesus. If you want to talk to God... You go through Jesus. He's made God accessible. You can pray boldly to God. We're taught. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Elijah is a normal person, but God heard his prayers and God worked through them. Through them. Did you know that? Elijah literally labored and gave birth 
to the will of God through his prayers. Second thing I want you to see is about Elijah is that God works miracles. Works miracles. Church, do we believe that? Now, there's a, a line of theology that's cessationalism, cessationism, which teaches that the miracle working seasons of God were, were really three big seasons. And, you know, that in the life of Moses with the Red Sea and the, all the things with Pharaoh for about a hundred years, God was working miraculously. And then in the life of Elijah and Elisha, there was about a hundred years of miraculous work. And then obviously in the life and ministry of Jesus and his apostles, there was about a hundred years where God is working miraculously. But that doesn't seem to be what James is teaching us, is it? When he says, Elijah was a man like us, he prayed and God did amazing things. God stopped the rain. Is that a miracle? Yes, it's a miracle. Why would he use this illustration if he didn't want you to pray for God to do things that you can't do? Because God works miracles. God still heals people. God's still doing amazing things. If you don't believe that, it's no wonder you don't pray. It is the Lord, the Bible says, who raises him up. For us, in this text, he lifts the spirit of the suffering. He heals the sick. He restores the sinner. He forgives sin. These are all miraculous things. For Elijah, Elijah was participating in God's powerful work. How did he do that? Prayer. And so thirdly here, faithful prayer is powerful. Faithful prayer is powerful. Elijah believed God. He believed God. His faith showed in his prayers. Now, he's willing to ask God for what looked impossible. A big question here is why? I'm not encouraging to pray that God would stop the rain. Why did Elijah pray that prayer? Do you know why he prayed that prayer? Why? He prayed for God to stop the rain because God said he was going to stop the rain. He prayed for God to restart the rain because God said, I'm going to restart the rain. Faithful prayer is not just believing for crazy things. It's believing God is faithful to his word. His faith showed in that he had confidence in the power of God first, that God is able. Is there anything God cannot do? Okay. So nothing is impossible for God. We believe that? Okay, Elijah believed that. That's what we're talking It's confidence in the power of God and confidence in the promises of God. Elijah declared and did only what God told him to do. Look, look carefully in, in chapter 18. I want you to see this in verse 36 in particular. Elijah is praying and this is right before God rains fire on top of Mount Carmel and ends up, um, well, he proved himself as the one true God. 
In verse 36, Elijah prays. He says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things. What's the next phrase? At your word. He wasn't just making it up. He just come up with stuff that he wanted. He wasn't standing before people and saying, Daddy said such and such when Daddy didn't say it. He's praying in and under the authority of God because God already said it. And just like Russ encouraged us, if you don't know what to pray, pray his word. There's power in praying the word of God. Pray his word. He loves it and he's faithful to it. Here's our takeaways, church family. I'm done with this. First, pray as a family. Pray as family. Ups and downs of life. Ups and downs of life. We need each other. And we need each other to pray with each other. And how do we pray? We pray like Elijah. With labor pains. With fervency. With love. With care. With concern. We trust a God who is able. We trust a God who loves us. We pray fervently as family. And secondly, pray fervently. With fervency. I my. If you would just let yourself go in prayer and just let it out with God. Pray that way. Like Elijah prayed with fervency. And then pray in faith. Pray in faith. The Bible tells us right here in James that the prayer of faith will work, will save, will heal, right? The prayer of faith. Church, let's be a praying people. Let's pray together. I, I want nothing more, I think, uh, than to see in our life groups and all around this building, when we come together, for us to be um, quick to move past the, the shallow coffee conversations, which are great, but to get to life and talk highs and lows and to bear one another's burdens. And how do we do that? In prayer. To just look around the, the place and see little pockets of people like, oh, let me pray over you. Can I pray with you? Okay, let's pray. And just people praying as a family together. It proves that we're faithful. We believe we have a God who can and that he cares. Let's be a people who... Pray together. Amen.